Just outside of Sharpsburg, Maryland, a suburb of Washington, D.C., there's a little creek called Antietam, where one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War occurred. Now, the interesting thing about the Battle of Antietam is that four days before the battle, the Union forces got their hands on the Confederate Army's battle plans. They learned that General Robert E. Lee had divided his troops in order to have them move more quickly. But that left them open to an attack. Had McClellan attacked that day, or even in the next few days, they would have destroyed Lee's army. But he hesitated. He said, ah, it's not prudent yet to attack. Well, his delay gave Lee all the time he needed for to get his troops back together again. And four days later, September 17th, 1862, at the Battle of Antietam, 25,000 Americans died or were wounded or went missing in action. Now, George McClellan, general of the Union forces, had a lot more uh, people uh, available to... Uh, to put in his army, they had three to one uh, ratio compared to the Confederacy. Uh, he could bring in new forces, uh, and, and so President Lincoln sent him wire after wire saying, press the attack, destroy these rebels. But McClellan said, didn't do that. He said, no, it's not prudent to attack. Well, that gave Lee and his troops time to crawl back south, cross the Potomac River, back to safety. As a result, the war went on for two more years, and thousands of Americans on both sides died. He hesitated, and historians say McClellan's reticence to attack was the worst decision in the Civil War. There are times in life when we have an opportunity and we need to seize the moment. But if we hesitate, we miss our chance and may live with regret forever. Uh, Jory and I have a wonderful family. I want Jory to wave her hand. She's sitting in the back and uh, she's had a lot of headaches uh, this, uh, this year and so has been watching with our girls mostly on the live stream at home. Uh, but Jory and I love each other. We love our kids. Our kids love us. We have nine kids. And our kids love each other. They love being together. We had a party last night for Jamie's birthday. And uh, we just had a great time together. We, Jory and I have very few regrets. But I have one regret. I was adamant that I should finish graduate school before we got married. And so I delayed our wedding. My regret is I wish we had married one year earlier. I know there meant nothing wrong with me finishing graduate school while going to school. Uh, with Jory and I were also working in Young Live. I was the head leader. She was the head girl leader. Been nothing wrong with us being married and leading that club. I could have had one more year with Jory. I mean, just imagine with one more year, maybe we would have ten kids. <laughs> the Apostle Paul the greatest person in the Christian faith, other than Jesus Christ, 
lived with few regrets. He took the good news of Jesus Christ to thousands of people throughout the Roman Empire. He wrote more books in the New Testament than any other writer. The last book he writes is to his disciple, Timothy. The sand in Paul's hourglass is quickly slipping away. He's being held in the Mamertine prison below the streets of Rome for the capital crime of being a Christian. And knowing how much Nero hates Christians, he knows his days are numbered. He tells Timothy that he has few regrets and tells Timothy how he too can live with no regrets. And he wants you <clears throat> to live with no regrets. This is not a religious thing. Whether you're a Christian or not, you don't want to live with regrets. You know this. Whether you're a student, a young adult, a mom, a dad, <clears throat> an empty nester, you don't want to live with regrets. So here are some of the Apostle Paul's final written words. I like that you that are here with me to stand in honor of God's word. These are some of Paul's greatest words, most famous in his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Lord God, thank you for these final words of the Apostle Paul. And may we learn from them how we can live with no regrets or few regrets. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask three questions of Paul's final words so that you can learn how to live with no regrets. First, how long do we live? Paul knows that any day Emperor Nero can declare him guilty and have him cast to the lion or beheaded. Our best guess is that Paul's life was cut short when he was beheaded in 62 AD. There's no mention of Paul's death in the book of Acts. So Acts had to be completed by Luke sometime in 61 AD. Luke's gospel preceded the book of Acts, so we believe it had to be completed sometime around 59 A.D. From reading the book of Luke, you can kind of tell that he's relying on Mark as one of his sources. So we believe Mark was completed by 57 A.D. That's only 20 to 25 years after the death of Christ, when there are many eyewitnesses walking around. Many people that could, if the gospel writers had written something that wasn't true, they could say, oh, wait a minute, I was there, it didn't happen. No, no, Jesus was not raised from the dead. But we don't have a record of anybody objecting to the gospel record. So you can believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. To communicate the urgency of his situation, Paul makes two brief but significant requests of Timothy. Do your best... To come to me quickly. Do your best to get here before winter. Why the rush to get there before winter? 
Uh, winter is on its way. When winter sets in, the season for safe navigation on the Mediterranean is over. If, Paul, uh, if Timothy waits until winter, he'll have to wait until spring, and Paul is pretty certain he'll be dead. We'd like to think that Timothy doesn't wait a single day. As soon as he gets this letter, he packs, leaves Ephesus, journeys north to the city of Troas, where he picks up the books and cloak that Paul requests. He books passage on a ship across the Aegean Sea to Greece, travels briskly down the Ignatian Way through Greece to the Adriatic, where he catches the first available ship to Rome. When he gets there, he runs up the Apian Way, finds Paul in prison, hugs him, talks to him, reads to him from the Old Testament scriptures, prays with him, and then walks with him to the place of execution where Paul receives his crown of glory. We hope that when Timothy receives this letter, he doesn't take his time in Ephesus. He doesn't stop to visit friends in Macedonia and Athens along the way. Then when he gets to the dock at Troas and asks for the next ship to Rome, they, they laugh at him and say, are you kidding? The next ship doesn't go out until April. All winter, Timothy worries and scolds himself. Then in spring, he takes the first ship to Rome. When he reaches Rome, he runs to the prison to inquire about Paul. The guard says to him, are you Timothy? Every time I came to his prison door and turned the lock, he would say, is that you, Timothy? Then Timothy would have wished he'd come before winter. Luke tells us that God decides how long we live. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he, made, and he marked out their appointed times in history. Luke tells us that God decides the day of our birth and the day of our death. We don't know how long we're going to live. I've told you these two stories in the last year, but I want to repeat them because they're important to me. I'll make them very brief. First one is about 10 years ago. Jory and I were vacationing in Michigan. And every day uh, would begin with me driving Cam to her tennis academy in South Bend, Indiana. In the afternoon, I asked Jory if she wanted to come with me to pick Cam up. And she said, sure. And so on the way back, Jory was driving. Cam was in the passenger seat. I was in the back seat. And... Uh, um, we were driving on Highway 12, which is a two-lane highway from, you know, from South Bend to Michigan. And all of a sudden, I was kind of lounging in the back seat. I heard Jerry say, Lord, no. And I got up, and this white Ram tr pickup truck was heading right toward us. The guy wasn't looking at us, didn't even see us. So Jory, to get out of his way, got into the oncoming uh, lane of traffic. But there was an 18-wheeler coming right for us. And I just watched all this. And just at the last second, Jory got back into our lane. And I realized at that moment, that could have been the last day for all three of us. And Erica was like eight at the time. And I thought, she wouldn't have had any parents. All nine of our kids 
would, would have been without parents. We don't know how long we're going to live. The other story is just this last year, October 15th and 16th, uh, I drove Jory to St. Vincent's Hospital. Her uh, blood pressure had risen uh, very high. She was having trouble breathing. And uh, she was there for 48 hours. They did all kinds of tests on her. She didn't have COVID, but it was something like it, an infection in her lungs. And, um, and they said when she got out, uh, make sure you go see uh, uh, your doctor. And so she, she went to see her doctor, and he said, good thing you went to the uh, emergency room when you did, or you might not have made it. When Jory told me that, I just thought, Wow. I could have lost Jory. We don't know how long we're going to live. Since we don't know how long we will live, we must take our opportunities when they come. There are opportunities within our reach which, if not pursued now, will not be available next year. There are inventions, new products, new business ideas that must be acted on today or the opportunity will be lost forever. Many business success stories are stories of people who had the right idea at the right time. Michael Furtick set up a company with an Australian chat room friend called MyDesktop.com. It's a virtual desktop infrastructure that allows college students and staff to connect to a virtual computer that has college software installed. They made millions. Michael was only 17. His friend was only 16. Sean Fanning was a college dropout. In 1999, he and his buddy, Sean Parker, who later became the first president of Facebook, started a company called Napster. Within one year, they reached 20 million subscribers. Uh, to, to give a comparison, it took AOL 10 years to get 23 million subscribers. Uh, it shook the music industry like nothing else in music history. It allowed people to share digital audio uh, files in MP3 format. People were thrilled to get their hands on so much music. Fanning and Parker became millionaires overnight. Fanning was 19. And Parker was 20. Now, as the software became more popular, they got into legal troubles over copyright infringement. They lost the court case, and they were shut down. Eventually, it merged with Rhapsody from Best Buy. But their idea spawned companies like Spotify and Apple Music. My point is, they acted on the right idea at the right time. Winter will come and winter will go. And by next spring, some of our opportunities will have melted like melting snow. There are some things that will never be done unless they're done before winter. There are people living today who will not be with us a year from now. We have a better chance of living with no regrets when we recognize that we don't know how long we're going to live, so we make the most of our opportunities every day. The second question we must ask to live with no regrets is, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to know God through Christ and to serve Him. 
as Paul prepares to go to be with Christ in heaven, Paul makes three statements that underscore his conviction that he has no regrets and he has served Christ faithfully. The first is, I have fought the good fight. Paul uses the Greek word agon, which denotes a contest that involves exertion. Paul likens the work of being on mission with Jesus to that of being a soldier. It takes work. Are you fighting the good fight? To some of you, I ask, when will you stop talking about someday? Someday, when things are a little less crazy at work, then I'll serve Christ more. Someday, when the kids grow a little older and things aren't so wild, then I'll serve Christ. Someday, when I retire and have more time, then I'll serve Christ. If you're making those excuses, my guess is you'll never find a good time to serve Christ. Luke tells us about a conversation Jesus had. Jesus said to a man, follow me. But the man replied, permit me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. You'd think Jesus would say, of course, go bury your father. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You'd think Jesus would say, fine, go say goodbye to your family. But Jesus says, no, nothing can stand between you coming to know me and serving me. Are you fighting the good fight? Are you on mission with Jesus, with your family, your neighbors? People that you work with, people you go to school with, what are you waiting for? Don't be deceived by the thief who says, there's no hurry. Throughout the Bible, we're told today is the day to seek God. Today is the day to serve Christ. The second statement Paul makes that underscores that he has no regrets and has fulfilled his purpose of serving Christ is, I have finished the race. Paul can use the perfect tense in all three of these statements because he, is, he can see the finish line. He knows he's so close. He uses the imagery of an athlete. I have run the race. I've run all the way to the finish line. He's not given up. So easy for us to give up. So easy to get discouraged. Some of you are discouraged. Life is tough. Serving Christ is even tougher. You wonder if you can keep doing it anymore. Don't give up. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't give up. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Then he says to the Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, 
we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't become weary in serving Christ. Do what you believe God has called you to do and you will fulfill your purpose. That's what Jesus did. Suppose you assemble some business and political uh, consultants. Some of the, they've gone to the best schools. They're some of the brightest minds. They've worked with some of the top clients. They've had great success. And you say, my goal is to be the most influential person in the world. I want millions of people to follow my teachings and to put me at the center of their lives. What should I do? Well, assuming these consultants take you seriously, what would they say? Would they say something like this? Be born in obscurity. Don't get involved in any academic or business or political networks. Be tragically killed in your early 30s before you write a book. Of course they wouldn't say that. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He did what his father asked him to do, and he changed the world. You follow what God asks you to do, and you will make a difference. The third statement Paul makes to indicate that he hasn't, doesn't have regrets, but he served Christ faithfully, is, I have kept the faith. Throughout his letter to Timothy, he says, Timothy, there'll be people that'll want to alter the faith that Jesus was born. He lived, he taught, he died, and he was raised again. I haven't done that. I've kept the faith. The third question I want to ask of Paul's final words to Timothy, so we live with no regrets, is what happens after we die? Paul writes, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul says that after we die, we stand before Christ to give an accounting of our lives. If we put our faith in Christ, asked him to forgive our sins, told him that we believe that he raised Jesus from the dead... We are given a crown of righteousness. Our sins are covered. We're ushered into heaven. If you have no faith background and are not sure what you believe, why don't you try praying this week, God, show me if you are real and if Jesus is your son. And see what happens. If you've never told God that you believe Jesus was raised from the dead, and that you want him in your life, you can invite him in in just a moment when we pray. The Apostle Paul lived his life with no regrets. He wants you to live your life with no regrets. You better have a better chance of doing that if you can answer three questions. How long do we live? We don't know. God is the one that decides how long we live. Second, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to know God through Christ and to serve Him. The third question is, what happens after we die? We stand before Christ to give an accounting of our life. Hopefully, we can report that we acted when we were given an opportunity.
On Tuesday morning, September 11th, 2001, Todd Beamer left his wife Lisa and their two young sons and got on United Flight 93 from Newark to California for business. <clears throat> About an hour, <coughs> hour into the flight, the plane did a U-turn. Beamer thought, that's strange. So they got on his cell phone to see what's going on and some other passengers in the plane, and they learned that two planes had hit the Twin Towers in Manhattan. They did a little investigating, and they realized their plane had been hijacked. Todd Beamer, who was a Christian, realized that this was probably going to be the last day of his life, but he needed to act. And so he called 911, talked to a girl named Lisa Jefferson, never met her before, said, please tell my wife and sons that I love them. And then he asked her to recite with him the Lord's Prayer. Then the last thing she heard him said, which is something he said calm, uh, frequently in business or at home when he was going to do something, let's roll. And Lisa's put out a book by that title. He and some fellow passengers took action. They lost their lives, but in the process, they saved hundreds of other lives, maybe thousands. Opportunities come to us every day. We must make the most of them because we don't know how long we're going to live. We must not hesitate like General George McClellan, but act. Lord God, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his life with few regrets that he lived boldly. And we thank you for his final letter to Timothy. And like Paul, we don't want to have regrets. We want to live knowing that we don't know how long we're going to live. So make the most of our time every day. If you want to tell God that right now, that you want to Live for Him this week. Make the most of your time and opportunities. Would you tell Him that? And if you've never told God that you believe Jesus is His Son and He raised Him from the dead and you want Him to forgive your sins and come into your life, you can do that right now as we pray. You pray. Father, thank you for speaking through the Apostle Paul, inspiring him to write this letter to Timothy. And we want to live with no regrets and use every minute you give us, every opportunity you send our way to serve you, to live for you.